0: I used to, you know, think about what's the ultimate business model, right? Well, the ultimate business model is not going to be anything physical, right? Um, It's going to be a one-time sale and then recurring income every single month, right? It's going to have very little competition and it's going to have high margins. And land investing really met all that criteria
1: What's up everybody, I'm Blake Fletcher and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. Today is a very exciting day for two of you who are winners of the Patreon contest that we have been running with the uh, Truewood watch and sunglasses that we are giving away. So Marcus Batson, you win the watch from Truewood. You actually get to pick out whichever watch you want. And M. Ascano, who is one of the newest supporters on Patreon, you have won a pair of sunglasses from Truewood. So I will reach out to you guys via email, but congratulations to both of you. um, And thank you so much for supporting the show. It really, really helps so much. And to the rest of you, we actually have another contest going on right now to win a free 30-minute tarot reading from Charlie, the amazing tarot reader that we recently had on the show. As long as you leave a review for the show by Monday, you will be entered to win a uh, a tarot reading with Charlie over Skype. So um, all you got to do is leave a review on iTunes. That's it. You're entered to win that contest. So on to today's episode. So today is actually part one of the first ever three-part series that we are doing here on Half Hour just Kind of seemed right after um doing this long interview with mark so um i speak with mark podolsky who is one of the kind of foremost experts on raw land buying and selling in the united states he is known as the land geek he has a business and a brand called the land geek and a website and he has hosted three separate podcasts. He currently hosts the Art of Passive Income podcast. He writes a blog, um, does a lot of work out there to help people learn his methods of buying and selling raw land to make phenomenal returns on their investment and kind of make really great uh, passive income as well. So one thing that he teaches is how to just buy and sell the land directly. The other thing that he talks about is buying and selling the land with terms so that you were just getting monthly checks um, sent to you for this land that you hold. So... It's a really great sounding process. Um, I typically am not like overly sold on things like this, but I feel like super sold by Mark in this whole process. It sounds like a really interesting way to make some extra cash so in part one, uh we will be going over some general info about uh land buying and selling and why land and all those sorts of questions, and then we will cover binding land and how do you find the right pieces of land to purchase that later on you would sell for a uh, a big return. In part two, we cover buying the land and how we're going to be buying the land at a, at a much lower price than the market rate so that we can sell it for a good return. And in part three, we will cover selling the land and how it is that we are selling it at this high return. So that is going to be how it's all broken out over the course of the next three episodes. Without further ado, here is Mark Podolsky, the land Geek. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Blake. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about you before we get started with all the really awesome land and real estate stuff. So um, how did you get started doing this? You, like, what was your first land deal ever? What introduced you to all this?
0: Well, the, the way I got started is kind of interesting because I was sort of uh, like a really miserable investment banker. And uh, I was doing mergers and acquisitions for private equity groups it, with like a boutique firm here. like nothing, no, nothing like Goldman Sachs level, like, you know, let's say five to five hundred million in enterprise value, okay. right. Yeah, so relatively small m and a stuff. And I hated it. Like no control. like 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 I wouldn't get the Sunday blues anticipating Monday coming around. I did get like, The Friday blues, anticipating the weekend going by (laughs) really fast.
1: Just couldn't enjoy your weekend, like even a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I had a 45 minute commute to work and back. I was micromanaged, high stress, long hours. It was miserable. So we hired this guy at my firm who's telling me that he's going to these tax deed auctions and he's buying up raw land and he's flipping it online and he's making a 300% return on investment so, Blake, I'm looking at companies all day long. A great company, a great company has 15% or higher EBITDA margins, free cash flow margins, right? Yes, of course. 50% or more. Your average company is at 10%. I'm looking at companies all day long, less than 10%. So I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm from the show me state. I don't uh, believe them.
1: Okay, I was going to say that this must be what your thought. And this like this must be the number one question that you get. And the number one objection that you run into is just like, uh, hello. Like, if you can get three hundred percent return on this, like, why isn't everyone doing this all the time? Like, why haven't I already heard of it?
0: Yeah, I I agree. I agree. So, so, so you say
1: so you say this to this guy and like, what, what is his so I response? I don't believe him. Right.
0: So so I have like three grand saved for uh, car repairs, and we go to this auction in New Mexico. And I've you know the only piece of real estate I've ever bought at that time was my house. So I don't know what I'm doing. We're driving around. We're looking at raw land, and you know, there's no one in the room, this is 2,000, and I start buying up these half-acre parcels in you know rural New Mexico at an average price of300 dollars each, right? So I buy 10 parcels, an okay. amount of money. So I do exactly what he says to do. I put them up online, and I sell them within 30 days for over1,200 dollars each. right? 300 percent? Ways right.
1: All right, there's so many questions already about that. So, first of all, this this auction that you go to, how many how many pieces of land are for sale at something like this?
0: You know, it depends. It depends on the county. So, some counties could have, you know, 500 pieces of land for auction, some could have 10. It just depends. Okay. Okay. It depends on the counties. There's 3,007 counties in the US, and they all have their own sort of unique characteristics about them. And but now, this was, this was a good auction for me.
1: Yeah. So, the, talk to us about what happened like after that. So, you have this first experience. It actually so goes right. down just, very closely to what right. the guy
0: says. So, it works. So, I take all that money and I go to another auction in Arizona. And there's no one in the room. And I'm buying up properties for a dollar, $5, $10. I made over $90,000 in six months on that second auction. So, I go to my wife and I say, honey. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to invest (laughs) in land full time. I love it. And she says, absolutely not. Uh, So I said, okay, fine. So I'm like, look, uh, let me just prove to you this isn't a lark. It works. So for 18 months, I worked part-time on land investing. And at that point, after 18 months, my land investing income exceeded my investment banking job income, and I quit in 2001. I've been doing it full-time ever since i've done over 5000 land transactions uh i've got a podcast called the best passive income model podcast it's the best Blake that, the best. It,
1: it sounds so awesome i was listening to uh your former real estate podcast this morning and yesterday and it got it got me like really excited about this whole thing like it's so awesome so um we're going to be doing this over three parts um we're going to cover a few more questions here before we dig into uh The part one, which is going to be about finding land, Uh, we will do another episode about purchasing land. And then we will do a final episode with you about selling the land. Um, So let's just continue on, though, before we focus on on finding land and how we're going to find good land. So um, why is it that you're looking at land and not real estate? Because I, I feel well, like real estate is way more common. Like there's all these shows on TV about flipping houses and everyone knows like a house flipper or a real estate agent or this or that. You don't hear too much about just buying empty land.
0: Right, right. So, you know, I personally can't do anything uh, home maintenance wise in my own home. Like it's sad, right? So <laughs> um, I've never been interested in 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 like, you know, fix it up, right? So fix and flip to me, is not fun. Like I did a, I did a house flip once and it was miserable. And, uh, you know, you gotta go and you meet the subcontractors. I don't know if the subcontractors are, are, you know, overcharging me or not. Right. I don't know if those things really need to be fixed or not. I really didn't know. So land really appealed to the geeky part of me because it's a system. It's a process. There's nothing physical. There's nothing to protect. There's nothing to maintain. And I used to, you know, think about what's the ultimate business model, right? Well, the ultimate business model is not going to be anything physical, right? Um, It's going to be a one-time sale and then recurring income every single month, right? It's going to have very little competition and it's going to have high margins. And land investing really met all that criteria for me because the way that we sell the priest's property is we do owner financing. So it's a one time sale. So let's say I buy a piece of property for $1,000. Well, I might sell for $10,000 with $1,000 down, $249 a month at 8.7% interest, right? And then I've got that, my, my money out on the down payment, or typically within six months of the down payment. And then I've got this passive income coming in every single month, but I don't have to deal with a renter. I don't have to deal with rehabs. I don't have to deal with the renovations. No rodents. And because I'm not dealing with the tenant, Blake, I don't have to worry about onerous real estate legislation like Dodd Frank, RESPA, the Safe uh, Act. good point. Yeah, land is exempt. So it's the you know Ted Turner's one of the largest landowners in the in the country, and he always says, "Look, buy land. It's the only thing that lasts, and it really does." So the only thing I think better than land investing is is life insurance. Because life insurance, you don't have to buy even an underlying asset. It's just an idea, in the same principles <laughs> apply. Right. But it's not fun. It's competitive, so um, you, yeah, know, you know. Yeah, uh, it's really know, cool with these, land that you I actually
1: own this piece of land. Like it's actually yours, and you can walk out onto it and see it.
0: Well, that's how I convinced my wife to even do it. I said, "Look, honey, worst thing that happens is we own a piece of land. It's an asset, right? And um, it can go up in value." And she's like, "Oh, okay," and. It's, it's, it's really, I, I think, the ultimate asset. And to get back to your first question, why isn't everybody doing it? Because it's not sexy. It's not visual. You can't go on HGTV and just show you know, a piece of raw land. We shuffle <laughs> right. it. Right. And we make money. And we've got it 90% automated now with software. So I work two hours a week in Frontier Properties. It's, it's a machine. That's so
1: awesome. I love that. So now, if, if you are able to buy this piece of land at auction for, let's say, $1,000... Why is it that somebody within the next few months is buying it from you for three thousand dollars? Like, what? Why were they not well, just at the yeah, auction? I
0: mean, yeah, I mean, the terrible thing and the great thing about raw land is it's an inefficient market, right? Because nobody really knows what the value of the land is. So, just like anything else in life, right? It's what a buyer and a seller agree to, right? So, if you go to Nordstrom, that. shirt that you buy was probably manufactured in China for about five bucks, right? But you don't care. You want the shirt. It looks nice. You pay $100 for it and they make their margin. Yeah. So it's the same thing with anything else. Um, And especially with raw land because nobody really knows what it's worth. And so for somebody that's looking at it from like if you're in New York City or LA or Dallas and you see a piece of raw land, let's say 40 acres for $40,000, well, in your own town, that forty acres might be a million dollars, so it's like, "Wow, right now, I might have only paid five thousand for it, but they don't care right
1: so how long on average would you say you were holding on to these pieces of
0: land for? We sell properties in thirty days or less wow
1: it, it it's It's all just so awesome it's It's like so incredible sounding I love it um so and do you ever improve the land at all? Is there anything that you need to do to it between the time that you bought it and the time that you sell it?
0: You can. I don't. I don't need to. Because I'm buying it 20, 30 cents on the dollar. And we'll talk about how I buy it. But it's essentially, because I'm buying it so low, I can sell it you know, relatively 80 cents, 100 or 90 cents on the dollar. And everyone's getting a great deal. And they're super happy about it. And the way that we finance it, it's really easy. It's like a car payment. So, that alone, they can go and they can make their own improvements. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, before we jump into uh, just the rest of episode one and, and, and really like more in depth with finding land, uh, I would love you to tell us a story about the like biggest land purchase that you ever made and then what that, or and like your biggest sale that, that followed up like your biggest purchase.
0: Sure. Sure. So, you know, one of my biggest purchases was in Nevada. I want to say about 2003. Uh, there was a company that bought all this land from the railroad. So the railroad had all like millions of acres and this public company comes in and buys all of it and they want the mineral rights. So I come in and I start negotiating with them and I say, look, you know, I want to buy as much uh, of this property. These are 640 acre sections as I can. Right. So, and I said, look, I don't have that much money, but will you own or finance me? So they said, sure. So I, you know, it's the first time I went a million dollars in debt. So I, Whoa. Did, I did a note for a million dollars. I bought a million dollars of the property plus some, right? And then I took these 640 acres and I subdivided them into 40 acre parcels. And I started selling them. And on that one deal, I made over $5 million. Damn, that is insane. Now, you got to remember that 2003 to 2008, I had quite a market, right? I mean, the real estate market was nutty. Right. So what do you think that that would be more difficult to
1: replicate now, you're saying? Or just... Well, it, it's... not
0: today. I mean, you know, we are in a market. You know, The funny thing about land is land is the last to get hit and the last to recover. So 2008, I, I did very well. 2009, I did really well. 2010... About 50% of my income went away. Okay. Uh, Because 50% of those people defaulted on their notes. So it lagged about
1: three years behind the real estate market.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, all the housing guys, uh, you know, got crushed in 2008. Um, I'm getting crushed in 2010. Now, that being said, you know, we're still profitable. I've been profitable every year, but, you know, it's all relatively speaking. So, yeah, we had to cut back personally. But other than that, the business was very healthy. Uh, but you know, then we started to recover, let's say in 2012, but housing had already recovered. Right. Right.
1: So let's talk about what other ways this is, has become easier and ways it's become more difficult in the last, let's say like 15 years or so.
0: Well, it has become more difficult, just become easier with technology. (laughs) So, you know, you know, the old days I'd have to actually physically go and have to look at a piece of raw land. Today, our due diligence costs $11 and it's incredible. It can be done online and with Google Earth um, and all the mapping software. I I can't tell you the last time I looked at a piece of property. So I don't have to physically go and do anything and it scales. So I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona, but I'm buying property in Arizona and Texas and Nevada and California and Washington and Oregon and California. And I don't ever have to look at a piece of property because we outsource our due diligence, we get the GIS maps, we get the Google Earth maps, we get the GPS coordinates, everything that a buyer would need, and then we can crowdsource people going out and taking pictures and shooting video for us for our marketing. So for 50 bucks, a local Craigslist gig, somebody goes out, they take their iPhone out, and they fill out our property report. I wanna know, are the neighbors dumping? What was the road like to get out to that piece of property? A whole thing on due diligence, but I don't personally have to go now and stomp on a piece of property, but back in the day I had to, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know the auctions. Uh, you know depending on the, where we are in the market, they it can be competitive or it can be non-competitive. I don't. I avoid the auctions now, and we'll talk about how I purchase land, which is I send out d- direct offers to people, and we'll kind of get into that more on the next episode. But now I have just a massive machine of deal flow coming in and it's all automated. I just take a list, I put it into my software, the offers immediately go out. When they come back, it goes step-by-step through the five phases of our business with the software. What used to take me 20 minutes in paperwork now takes two seconds. So between three of us last month, we saved 119 hours in our software.
1: That's crazy. How many hours a week do you work right now?
0: Two hours a week. <laughs> your so I, you know, I want to look at reports and I talk to my team. So how many offers did we make? How many properties did we buy? How many properties did we sell? How many are pending? And what can I do to to make your job easier?
1: Yeah. What was it like bringing people on for the first time? I imagine you know, as you as. You, being the person who's actually putting out all the money, you have to really want to be able to go and, you know, back before Google Maps and Google Earth and everything, you had to be the one that wanted to go and look at the property. And still to this day, you have to be, I would imagine, the one that wants to uh, do all your due diligence and all these things. Is it weird having other people kind of spend your money, as it were, and do these things?
0: Well, in the beginning, it was. Now it's amazing. But in the beginning, you had to make systems and processes in place, and then you'd have to check, right? So, you know, that trust factor had to come in. So it's not like you know turning on a, a light switch. Um, it was uh, a slow four-year, basic, you know, the journey yeah. of getting myself kind of out of the business and entrepreneurial and not working in the business. I mean, four years of creating systems and processes. Yeah, for sure. For sure.
1: Um, all right, cool. So uh, let's delve more into the finding land piece of this, the kind of step one of everything. So uh, first of all, how do you know... Like, I imagine the easiest way for anyone to get into this or, or the most comfortable way for people to get into this is to maybe do it near where they live. So how would people know what is available near them?
0: Yeah, I, I disagree with that, Blake. Oh, really? Because let's let's say, for example, you live in Minnesota, right? Well, nobody wakes up and thinks to themselves, boy, I'd really love to buy some raw land in Minnesota, unless you live in Minnesota, right? Yeah. But if you buy raw land in Arizona, Texas, Nevada, New Mexico, Colorado, California, Oregon, Washington, areas that have tons of raw land, right? And they have got sun, and they're growing, and you know those areas, people all over the country are interested in raw land there. Okay, right. So I would focus on places where people want to be, number one. So that would be the first piece. The second piece is well, you know, where is there a good market, um, and then just kind of do county research from that. So you want to have lots of property available and inexpensive property, right? So you know, yeah, you could do a deal in Manhattan. Like an infill lot, but you don't want to spend two million dollars on an infill lot, hoping that you can sell it for three million, right? So we, you know, we we really look at at you know less expensive pieces of property, maybe two three hours from a, from the nearest town, and and buy up these properties twenty three cents the dollar. Now the lowest hanging fruit, Blake, is when people are advertising to us they don't want their property anymore, and the way they advertise that is they owe back taxes. So I can go to the county treasurer and get the back tax list of people that own property and owe back taxes. And if they owe back taxes and they live out of state, I'm pretty certain that's a really strong seller. So then I can price off that property. I'll look at a comp. Let's say the comps are, uh, $10,000, right? Well, I'll divide by four that gets me by 300%, right? And I'll send them a $2,500 offer. I'll actually send them a letter that says I'm interested in buying that property for twenty five hundred dollars. Three to five percent will actually accept that offer. We go through due diligence, we close on that property, and then we quickly resell that property online. Wow. So this is why 300%. you have this whole
1: automated process now is you're you must be sending out hundreds of these things.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So that, that, that is like the lowest hanging for you. Like that's like the best case scenario because these people are going to be so like, that would be the best deal you could get. Basically. Is that what you're saying? Right.
0: Exactly. So what once was an asset to them is now a liability and they're advertising it to me. And there's, there's so much land out there and there's no one doing this. Private equity groups don't want to do this. Hedge funds don't want to do this. Um, if you go to a RIA meeting, a real estate investment meeting, and there's a hundred people there, ninety-nine of them will be house flippers or wholesalers. You would be the only land guy. So we have this massive market and no one doing it.
1: Now, who were you selling it, the uh, not to get not to jump forward to the third episode where we talk about selling? Right, but, right. So once so, yeah, you so bought this, like who who are you selling it to? I just want to know that part. Like who is buying so, it from you then?
0: You know, it's so interesting. It's people that buy it are people that grew up hearing you should always own raw land, right? Or they know the area. Or like I've got a guy, he pays me $5,000 a month on a note. He's a CEO in San Diego. He just thinks it's cool to own raw land. Um, I have other people that, you know, they want to use it recreationally. Uh, I have preppers, right? These are people that, if you go to Nat Geo Preppers, you know, there's millions of these people that are preparing, uh, that are hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst, (laughs) right? People that don't like people, uh, military people love raw land. Um, if you go to landsofamerica.com, landandfarm.com, landflip.com, landhub.com, there's huge you know, websites just devoted to people that want to buy raw land. So there's a lust for land in this country that most people don't realize. And even when I've made a due diligence mistake, I've never been stuck with a piece of land. So I bought a piece of land in New Mexico on the side of a mountain. 40 acres, 20 of acres are not usable. It's on the side of a mountain, right? Yeah. And I, I paid th- three grand for it. And I'm like, oh gosh, who's, who's going to buy this? I'm like, this is a big mistake. So I put it up on eBay. The first day it got bid up to three grand. 10 days later, it sold for $32,500. And I'm scared now, right? Like I called the, call the winning bidder and I'm like, um, you realize this is on the side of a mountain. He's like, yeah, it's perfect. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I'm a, a film director in LA and I'm filming out there and I don't want to have to deal with permits. So I bought that piece of property because that's exactly where I want to film.
1: Oh man, that's such a good idea on his part too. That's great. It's a great
0: idea on his part. 32000 is cheap. Yeah. It's fast. And so I like to say this a lot, but there is a pig for every barn. Um, you don't want to be a land snob just because you wouldn't want to buy that raw piece of land or you think it's out in the middle of nowhere it doesn't mean someone else wouldn't. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. So, how should we evaluate land when we are looking at it? Like what are the major things that that would tell us that this is a better piece of land than some other piece of
0: land? Well, you know, better is always subjective. So, I don't look at it like that. I look at it, can I sell this piece of land? Is there someone else on the other end of this deal? and the only way I'll know that is if there's a comparable sale. If there's not a comparable sale, then I won't buy the land, I will test the market. So what I'll do is I'll lock up that piece of property with an option for, you know, let's say 50 bucks. And I'll tell the seller, "Hey, we don't know, you know, <laughs> if this piece of land is going to sell or not, or we you know, we're not sure about the market, the market's soft. Give us 95 days to test it. And then, you know, if we can make money, then we'll go ahead and close with you." It'll probably be faster than that, but we'll do that. They'll sign the option, we'll lock it up, and we can control you know, thousands of acres of land just on options. And then we start marketing that property and testing it and seeing, can we make our margin? Can we make our 300 to 1,000% on that deal? If the answer is yes, then typically what we'll do is we'll get a down payment from the buyer And then pay the seller. So now I've got an infinite return on my money because I'm not even using my own money at that point.
1: This is so ridiculous. I can't believe this. So what percentage of the time are you doing those options then? like, Why would you ever just go out of your way to buy a piece of land if you didn't have to?
0: Well, the only reason I would go out of my way to buy a piece of land is because I want to close fast because I already know I've got a buyer, right? I've been doing this since 2001. I can email and I sell property every day just by shooting out an email or getting on the phone. So for me, I'm in a little different situation, but a lot of my clients, that's exactly what they do, especially if they don't have a lot of land, right? You know, the 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 risk is that the, your seller is going to say, I don't want to do that, right? I want my money now. Right. Especially when you're getting, you know, you're buying at 23 cents on the dollar. Yeah.
1: So in what types of land could we be looking at? Like, what are the different... So... Let's get a little more technical, I guess. Like, what are the different statuses that that land can have on it? In an episode that I was listening to of your podcast, that you were talking about, like tax deed versus tax liens, and then land having a redemption period on it, or in like in Nevada, I guess they don't have a redemption period. Like, uh, give us like things that we need to look out for, I guess, if we're looking at land.
0: Well, I mean that that question is, is an interesting question. So th- there's a difference between a tax deed state and a tax lean state and a hybrid state. So that's one question. The other question is the classifications of raw land. So we want to use a use code of VL for a vacant land, right? I don't want uh, commercial zoned land. Um, that's number one. I don't want industrial oh, okay. zoned land. That's number two. And when I'm looking at a list, I want to take out all those properties that, let's say, have an assessed value of more than $30,000 because th- that will typically get me out of the houses that'll get me out of the industrial land and the commercial land. And now I've really got a s- nice clean list of vacant land that I can make my offers out to. Now, why so would you? That's the first question.
1: Why would you not want to be um, buying land that is already zoned for houses or buying land that is already zoned for industrial?
0: Well, no. If it's zoned for residential, I do want to buy that land. Okay. I don't want to buy commercial or industrial land okay. because my, my buyer pool is so small. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Okay. So then the second question was, what's the difference in a tax deed and a tax lien? A tax deed, let's say you don't pay your your taxes, Blake, in a tax deed state like New Mexico. Well, New Mexico is kind of heartless. They're so like, Blake, you didn't pay your taxes. We're going to auction that property. We're going to get our taxes back from an investor and you lose your property. You're like, oh, that, that sucks, right? So that's a tax deed state. A tax lien state is more forgiving. They'll say, okay, we're not gonna take your property, Blake, but every single month, you don't pay your taxes. That investor has paid your taxes for you and you're gonna have to pay them a penalty plus interest. So tax lien investors can make 16 to 24% on their money and not have to do anything, right? Now, what happens is if you still don't pay your taxes, then the tax lien investor has to pay for the costs of foreclosure on you and then own that land and sell it. Hmm. So for me, I like to just go straight to the seller before it goes to foreclosure.
1: And that is sort of the list that you were talking about getting. You're looking at a list of people that have these tax liens against them um, that are living out of state. Correct, correct.
0: So you know what you want to know is when is the tax deed auction and when is the tax lien auction so you can buy those properties before they go to auction. Now, a tax lien... Auction, I I should say a tax lien auction because you don't care at that point. What you want to know is, you know, hey, is this property getting close or in foreclosure? Because if it's in foreclosure, now you're not dealing with the the seller anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha.
1: And in terms of vacant land, how far out in the middle of nowhere? Like you said that vacant land is what most often the type of land that you're looking at? Right. How right. far, like out in the boondocks, are we talking about? So, like, I mean,
0: I'll I'll go thirty miles from the nearest city. Okay, it sells. I'll sell, I'll go twenty miles.
1: So, but I, I guess I I meant the other way around. Like, how, how far out do you have to go to find any vacant land? Is there vacant land near
0: cities? Oh my gosh, Blake! There's there's millions of acres. You, me, a million people in this business. We'll all run out of money before we run out of deal flow. <laughs> It's massive. It's a massive market. I mean, there's one county in Texas that has 40,000 tax delinquent properties. How much of it can you and I buy? I mean, (laughs) it's crazy. I mean, you could probably buy quite a bit. Me, not so much. Yeah. I I mean, I might be able to buy quite a bit, but, you know, that's the other thing about this model is uh, the due diligence on it. Like, how quickly can I close all those properties and then resell them? Yeah. Right. So, You know, if you want to be a billionaire, this is not the niche to be in, because it's just it's just too slow. And at some point, there's too much money, because you can't go out and buy a million parcels and then sell them in one year, right? Right. There is the actual work that needs to be done and building up a team like you have, right? And and that. I mean, this is a great way to make, let's say, you know, a million to ten million a year. But if you need more than that, you got to go into you know bigger deals. Yeah. Yeah. For
1: sure. So, uh just if you could take us through a little bit of your process when evaluating land. So you you mentioned the visual piece of evaluating land. Um so using something like Google Earth or this or that. Um I guess how are you uh, even knowing like like if if let's say I decide right now I would like to buy some land in Colorado. How do I know what land is for sale in Colorado? How do I know uh if, like whether it is like something that could be good or not? Uh, how do I know that, that... Like Then obviously, I would go on Google Earth and want to take a look at it. Just, I guess, go through some of the steps that you go through when deciding like, okay, I want to buy some land in Colorado right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, the first thing I want to look at is you know, a Google land in Colorado. So what are people similar to me doing? And where are they buying? Is there a market? So knowing that there's a massive market out there, if I see that XYZ company is selling a ton of property in this county in Colorado... Well, I'll start making offers in that county in Colorado because I know definitively there's a market there. There's good comparable sales and I know how to price it and I'll do it. So I wanna I don't want to be the trailblazer. I don't want to go to an area there's no one. I don't know if there's a market. I want to go where there's a market. Okay.
1: And what would be like the sites? Are there? You named a few of them before, like the usual sites that you would be going to to see whether there's kind of like action in a given area. Yeah,
0: I mean, there's there's a lands landinamerica.com, landhub.com, landflip.com, uh, land <laughs> lands of America. I mean, did I say land and farm land and? There's tons of them, okay. but you can just do a Google search. Okay,
1: cool. So once you see that there is action in a given area, you look at the actual land and the land looks good to you. Um, like what are, I guess, what are some of the other like checklists that you're going through in your head and things that you need to do before you decide, okay, yes, this is a piece of land I'm going to buy.
0: Yeah, the other checklist is, can I make money? So that's really it, right? So I need, to, that's, I mean, if I sounds, know this, so, so, I'm like
1: waiting for like a hundred step checklist. If it sounds, yeah, there's I mean, just you not know, one. Yes,
0: because, you know, it's... If you're a typical real estate guy, this is the most simple model there is. All there is is a piece of land, a buyer, and a seller, right? We're not dealing with anything physical. I don't need to know how old is the roof, right? How, how good is the plumbing? It's a very
1: good point. No inspections, no, no inspection. even.
0: Yeah. I mean, all I want to know is, can you find the piece of property? Is there legal access, ingress and egress? Is there something compelling about the property? Does it have mountain views? Is it near something cool? Is there a good story there? And even then, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy how, <laughs> how many people want to buy raw land in, in areas that you and I would never even dream of. Yeah. So I, I can tell you stories. I mean, I learned the hard way. Um, but, you know, a buddy of mine bought the, what I thought was the ugliest piece of property ever in New Mexico like, like in the middle of nowhere. I mean, just ugly, looked like a bombed out area and he's buying them for like, you know, five cents on the dollar. And I, he'd, he'd email me every sale and I'd email him back refund. Right. Cause I'm like, Oh, the people are going to go out there and look at the property. (laughs) They're going to want their money back. So then he keep emailing me sale after sale after sale. So then I just start emailing him back refund comma lawsuit. Right. Yeah. This went on for six months. He sold out all that property. He made like a hundred grand. And guess how many times he got had to refund? I'm gonna assume zero. Zero. And not one lawsuit. So after that, <laughs> I've I've been very uh very lax as far as like I'm not the market, right? Just because I don't think the property's nice doesn't mean someone else wouldn't love it. Yeah, for sure.
1: All right, so I will get all the different resources together for finding land. Um, and then obviously, people should head over to your website. And that's kind of the main resource for all of this. And definitely check out your podcast or your podcasts, I should say, plural, uh, for all the advice on this sort of stuff. Um, anyways, I'll put links to all this stuff on the Half Hour Intern site. Um, but before we move on to episode two and focusing on purchasing land and what Steps we're going to take there. If you could talk to us about some of the bigger mistakes that you made over the past twenty years, it, when it comes to finding land in the first place, if like at a certain point when you're trying to sell it or something, you're like, "Damn, if I could go back in time, like when I was looking at the land to begin with and have done this differently." What are mistakes that you made that you now know like that is something to maybe look out for?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest mistake was not testing the market initially in a new area. And the second biggest mistake was buying an, a, a property owners association or an HOA. Like I got enamored with this one community that, that was overdeveloped. They had a thousand lots and it was in Pennsylvania. It was outside of my, you know, sort of criteria. But I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is beautiful. There's million dollar homes in there. It's gated. There were two PGA rated golf courses, three lakes, a clubhouse. I mean, it was amazing. But the POA fees were 500 bucks a year. So I go in and I negotiate and I say, look, you got dead money here. You know, all these people, no one's paying their POA fees. If I sell these properties for a dollar, that's more than what you're getting right now as far as a POA fee. So, you know, sure enough, I bought, I mean, I made like a hundred grand on this one deal, but I thought I was going to make like millions and 2008 rolled around and nobody wanted to buy in that community. But if I could have gone back in time, I would have done a takedown deal. So instead of buying up all thousand lots, I would have just bought ten lots at a time, and just took each one down. And then as the market changed, I mitigated my risk. Okay, right,
1: right. So it sounds like what kind of a lesson there is maybe uh, to be wary of any sort of land that has any more like attachments to it, other than you just paying for the land and now I own the land and that's that. Um, You know, property taxes, obviously, but you don't want any other like financial responsibilities attached to the land.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't want your buyers to get nickel and dimed. I mean, they're, they're getting charged a a water fee that they didn't even have a house there yet. They were getting charged a POA fee and they may not have been using it. So it just became like this, this liability to them. So it it wasn't a great, yeah. I avoid POAs. Yeah.
1: What about when you are, let's say going for a drive in Arizona, um and you're in scottsdale or downtown phoenix or whatever it is like there's plenty of vacant lots like especially i've noticed lately um by the way i just recently moved to phoenix so i I, we should have done this in person i didn't realize that you were in scottsdale um but uh like i went for a bike ride in the downtown phoenix area and they're like that area is becoming so uh like gentrified right now and, and it's very like up and coming and there's all these like empty lots with no houses on them in the middle of all these other houses. And I'm just like, who owns that? And what is the deal with that? Like, is that kind of outside of the realm of what you usually do? Just buying one single lot in the middle of a neighborhood? Is that like too expensive, I guess, per se?
0: Well, it's not too expensive. It's, it's that your buyer pool is too small for me, right? I mean, you can definitely do it. But if you've got a really nice infill lot and typically speaking, you know it's valuable, you're going to go to a realtor. And you're going to sell that piece of property. You're not going to sell it to me, 23 cents a dollar. You're not going to be distressed with it. Right, right. right. Good point. So you're going to be a little bit more sophisticated if you've got an infill lot. You're going to know, oh, I can sell this to a developer or I can sell it to the neighbors. Right. It's got more value there. Um, So I avoid those properties because, you know, I'm quite happy with my margins on other stuff. Right. Good point. Okay,
1: cool. Love it. Awesome. All right. Um, I'll put resources for all that on the uh, website and let's move on to uh, phase two of this interview. So let's talk about purchasing... Hey everyone, I hope you all enjoyed part one with Mark. We will be going into part two where we cover buying land on Monday. And don't forget to leave a review on iTunes before Monday and you will be entered to win a 30-minute tarot reading over Skype with Charlie Harrington, the awesome tarot reader that we had here on the show recently. Thanks so much for listening and supporting.